Hi and welcome to Cyber Reason's Malicious Life. I'm Ren Levy. When landing at our destination airport, we would like to be greeted with balloons, chocolate cakes, loving relatives, or a cardboard sign with our name written on it in big blue letters. If there's one thing we wouldn't want to see waiting for us at the airport, it's a couple of FBI agents wearing their trademark suits. Unfortunately, that's exactly what awaited Chris Roberts on April 15, 2015, when he landed at Syracuse, New York, on a flight coming from Chicago. Two FBI agents and two local police officers escorted him out of the plane and interrogated him for a few hours. It wasn't just Roberts that bothered them, but also his elaborate equipment. The FBI agents confiscated two laptops, some hard drives, and USB sticks. Roberts, a bald man with a Gandalf-style beard, sometimes painted purple, was not allowed to board his next flight out of Syracuse. That was the end of his journey, at least for that day. The FBI warrant application said, quote, We believe Roberts had the ability and the willingness to use the equipment then with him to access or attempt to access the in-flight entertainment system and possibly the flight control systems on any aircraft equipped with an in-flight entertainment system, and it would endanger the public safety to allow him to leave the Syracuse airport that evening with that equipment. End quote. As you've probably guessed, Roberts is a hacker, but not your typical hacker, if there is such a thing. He's old school, as they say, and he has an ongoing love story with all kinds of machines. He started disassembling toasters and vacuum cleaners at the age of 10 or 11, but was later on drawn to areas where the stakes are higher, like moving objects. On his Twitter account, he describes himself as a hacker who's into, quote, anything with wings, wheels, tracks, tires, and fins, end quote. That means cars, trucks, even space vehicles. We'll get to that later. But his most long-standing obsession is with aircraft hacking. Another fact about Roberts is that he really likes to talk. He likes sharing in public the vulnerabilities he finds, and he's not shy about bragging about his achievements as a hacker. That's the reason he attracted the government's attention. In 2010, for example, Roberts talked about hacking planes at the B-Side Security Conference in Las Vegas. Two years later, he spoke again at the same conference on the same subject. Now, if you talk too much in public about hacking airplanes, you better get yourself ready for a visit by some men in suits wearing dark sunglasses. Indeed, a few months before the Syracuse event, the FBI had a couple of conversations with Roberts. Roberts told them what he knew about hacking airplanes, but he actually didn't stop there. He claimed he warned the actual manufacturers. Wired Magazine, in an article about Robert's history with the feds, quoted him saying, referring to himself and a colleague of his, quote, We had conversations with two main airplane builders, as well as with two of the top providers of infotainment systems, and it never went anywhere, end quote. 
If we read what Roberts told the FBI in conversations that took place in early 2015, following his appearance at various conferences, we can learn quite a lot. The following is from a search warrant application filed by the FBI. Quote, During the conversations, Mr. Roberts stated the following, that he had exploited vulnerabilities with IFE, in-flight entertainment systems, on aircraft while in flight. He compromised the IFE systems approximately 15 to 20 times during the time period of 2011 to 2014. Each of the compromises occurred on airplanes equipped with IFE systems with video monitors installed in the passengers' seatbacks. Indeed, the same innocent-looking system that allows us to enjoy our flight while watching movies we'll never watch at a theater or while playing solitaire for hours is also the one through which Roberts broke, or tried to break, into the control system of the plane itself, where one can find and interact with information concerning the plane's state, how the fuel flows in it, the condition of its oxygen system, and many other important details. Sounds scary, but that's exactly what Roberts claims can be done by pretty much any passenger with the appropriate knowledge and equipment. If Roberts is right, you don't need a gun or a knife to take over an airplane. Roberts supposedly knew all that, tried to test it many times, and as we already know, even told the FBI and probably aircraft manufacturers about it. What made the FBI escort Roberts out of the plane that day in Syracuse was a tweet. Surprisingly, it came from Roberts himself, or more precisely, from his Twitter account, where he calls himself Sea Dragon. Earlier on the very same day, during a United Airlines flight from Denver to Chicago, Roberts tweeted the following, quote, Find myself on a 737-800. Let's see, box IFE ICE SATCOM. Shall we start playing with EICAS messages? Pass oxygen on, anyone? End quote. The tweet ended with a smiling face. This worrisome tweet can still be found on Robert's Twitter account, even today, approximately seven years after the event. As we shall soon learn, Roberts was never a person who takes back things he says in public. In his defense, later on, he claimed that he did not really do what he joked about intending to do in that tweet, that is, to mess with the airplane systems during an actual flight. But FBI agents were never famous for their sense of humor, and they had another reason to take Robert's tweet so seriously. The attack surface has never been larger or more diverse, yet defenders are still forced to piece together intelligence from numerous siloed solutions that produce a flood of alerts in order to detect and end complex malicious operations. No more. 
Defenders can now leverage AI-driven Cyberism XDR powered by Google Chronicle to predict, understand, and end sophisticated attacks with the only solution on the market that delivers planetary-scale protection that allows them to predict attacker behavior through a revolutionary, operation-centric detection and response approach. Cyberism and Google Cloud are dedicated to teaming with defenders to end cyber attacks from endpoints to the enterprise to everywhere. Learn more about Cyberism XDR, powered by Google Chronicle, at cyberism.com slash platform slash XDR. In his conversations with the FBI in 2015, Roberts revealed how he was able to gain access to the aircraft's network. He began by physically connecting his laptop to the Seat Electronic Box, or SEB for short. There are two of these in each row of passengers on the plane, on either side of the aisle, just below the seats. Robert said he performed some wiggling and squeezing to break into the box and then connected a specially adapted Ethernet cable between the box and his laptop. Next, he did what every hacker does. He tried several default passwords and IDs, hoping that no one bothered to make a new password or invent another ID. He was correct, and from the entertainment system, Robert's path to other systems on the plane was wide open. The thing is, he wasn't just sniffing around when he got into these systems. FBI agent Mike Hurley, who investigated Roberts, testified that, quote, he stated that he successfully commanded the system he had accessed to issue the CLB, or CLIMB, command. He stated that he thereby caused one of the airplane engines to climb, resulting in a lateral or sideways movement of the plane during one of these flights. End quote. You heard it right. According to Roberts's own words, on one of his flights between 2011 and 2014, he caused the plane to change its flight direction. If it did happen, then it's obviously a very dangerous thing to do. Who knows what could have happened due to Roberts's rogue command? Could it have caused the aircraft to cross some other plane's flight path? Maybe it could have caused the aircraft's flight control systems to hang or crash. Who knows? Not us, and probably not even Roberts himself. This explains why the FBI took Roberts's tweet about messing with the oxygen systems during the flight to Syracuse so seriously. This incident raises a thought-provoking ethical dilemma. One that experiment-heavy sciences like medicine and psychology have been facing for many years. If Chris Roberts did put himself and maybe more importantly, all other passengers, in great danger, is this risk a fair price to pay for finding whether a passenger aircraft can be hacked? In a way, Roberts's alleged actions are somewhat reminiscent of one of the most famous experiments in psychology, the Milgram experiment. It came about in 1961 when Nazi war criminal Adolf Eichmann, who was captured by the Israeli Mossad in Argentina, claimed in his trial that he was merely following orders. 
Upon hearing of the trial, Yale psychologist Stanley Milgram wondered whether or not normative people will be willing to perform acts that go against their conscience if given explicit instructions from an authority figure. In the experiment, Milgram asked a group of subjects, playing the role of teachers, to administer electric shocks to another group, called learners, every time the learners gave a wrong answer in a memory test. The electric shocks weren't real, the learners were actors in this experiment, and no one was hurt physically, but the quote-unquote teachers didn't know that. The experiment's results were deeply disturbing. The majority of subjects were willing to give the learners extremely painful and even potentially fatal electric shocks. The experiment astonished the psychology community and revealed a ghastly truth about human nature, showing how obedient even the most normative people can get if they're put under enough pressure. But that revelation came with a price. Some of the quote-unquote teachers who administered the shocks, believing that the pain of the learners was real, suffered extreme emotional stress. Scientists who reviewed Milgram's experiment wondered whether the scientific findings justified the emotional harm suffered by the subjects. Or, in our case, does the noble purpose of exposing vulnerabilities in an airplane's network system justify risking people's lives. Many security experts were troubled by Roberts' actions. Jamie Blasco, director of Alien Vault Labs, tweeted, quote, I find it really hard to believe, but if that is the case, he deserves going to jail, end quote. And Alex Stamus, chief information security officer of Yahoo, tweeted even harsher words, quote, you cannot promote the true idea that security research benefits humanity while defending research that endangered hundreds of innocents. End quote. Roberts tried to downplay the meaning of his confession about issuing the climb command. While he didn't directly address the suspicion about him tilting a passenger plane while in flight, he told Wired that things were taken out of context. Quote, that paragraph that's in there is one paragraph out of a lot of discussions, so there is context that is obviously missing, which obviously I can't say anything about. It would appear from what I've seen that the federal guys took one paragraph out of a lot of discussions and a lot of meetings and notes and just chose that one as opposed to plenty of others. End quote. But, as it turns out, no matter how you look at it, Roberts and his colleague looked very deeply into the possibility of hacking passenger planes control systems. Roberts told Wired that, quote, We were within the fuel balancing system and the thrust control system. We watched the packets and data going across the network to see where it was going, end quote. One doesn't have to be a great security researcher or an aeronautical engineer to understand that Roberts could potentially have controlled the entire aircraft. But there's a real possibility that Roberts is right, that hacking an airplane from the plane itself during flight is a lot easier than what we'd like to think.
Ruben Santa Malta, Principal Security Consultant with the Seattle Information Security Services firm IO Active, is another security researcher who has also in recent years warned against aircraft networks vulnerabilities. In December 2016, for example, Santa Malta posted the following on the IO Active blog. Quote, While I was flying from Warsaw to Dubai two years ago, I decided to try my luck and play with the in-flight entertainment system a little bit, touching this and that. Suddenly, after touching a specific point in one of the screen's upper corners, the device returned this debug information. End quote. Santa Malta goes on to show some sensitive logging data from the console, which was available to him during the flight. Quote, After arriving in Dubai and spending some time searching these keywords in Google, I discovered hundreds of publicly available firmware updates for multiple airlines. These files were obviously being actively updated, so it was possible to gain access to the latest versions deployed on aircraft. End quote. And here are some of Santa Malta's most scary conclusions, also from his 2016 blog post. Quote, In-flight entertainment systems may be an attack vector. In some scenarios, such an attack would be physically impossible due to the isolation of these systems, while in others, an attack remained theoretically feasible due to the physical connectivity. The ability to cross the quote-unquote red line between the passenger entertainment and owned devices domain and the aircraft control domain relies heavily on the specific devices, software and configuration deployed on the target aircraft. End quote. It seems Roberts was on to something very real. Another discovery of Santa Marta, dating from 2019, is especially disturbing. Apparently, he found on a Boeing's webpage some of the computer code used by the 787 to run a package known as Crew Information System slash Management System that contains a lot of information about the plane and its condition, transmitted to pilots in real time. According to the Smithsonian Magazine, Santa Marta reverse-engineered the code and tried to find attack paths to this package. Since he did not have access to the plane itself, he was unable to find real attack options and test them, but he speculated that hackers would certainly be able to do so if they try hard enough. That is, they would be able to temper the information transmitted to the pilots during the actual flight. Think about it for a second. Malicious hackers sitting in the plane with no visible weapons could force pilots into making fatal mistakes. This is how Santa Marta summarizes the risk. Quote, I don't believe these systems can resist solid attacks from skilled malicious actors. This only depends on the attacker's determination and intention. From a technical perspective, it's totally feasible. End quote. The potential threat of intrusion into the plane data network has been preoccupying aircraft manufacturers for years. Since the birth of one of Boeing's greatest symbols, the 777 airliner, sometime in 1994, 
The company's engineers have been devising protection means for the aircraft network's most sensitive points. As far as we know, at least based on publicly shared information, there was never a bad hacker who broke into the flight control systems of a passenger plane. The Smithsonian piece from early 2021 is also quoting Randy Talley, the Department of Homeland Security chairman on the Aviation Cybersecurity Task Force. He refers to the work being done in cyber protection by airlines, aircraft manufacturers and carriers and says that he sees, quote, tremendous change over the past two years, end quote. Boeing and other manufacturers are doing a lot to prevent this type of hacking. Boeing, for instance, has set up a special website where security researchers can report vulnerabilities they discover and notify the company directly. It's also important to note that at least according to Roberts, the vulnerabilities he found did not necessarily exist in every passenger plane, but only in some aircraft models he explicitly mentions. Boeing 737-800, 737-900 and 757-200 aircraft and also Airbus A320. But Does that mean that we can all put on our collective sleeping masks and take a deep, relaxing breath? Probably not. Much of what is done takes place behind the scenes, and the public has no visibility into these security efforts, and experience tells us that big, complex systems almost always have hidden vulnerabilities in them. A fearless man like Roberts, who doesn't really want to harm, but only checks out the boundaries, is probably raising red flags that no one else would have the guts to raise. Milgram did the same in a psychological context, making us realize how dangerously obedient even the most average person can get. And there was a price to finding that out. Maybe gray hat hackers, such as Chris Roberts, should be the first ones to find them, before others with more nefarious intentions will. After all, some of the greatest advancements in the history of medicine came about via such morally dubious experiments. For example, Edward Jenner discovered the smallpox vaccine by inoculating an eight-year-old child. Louis Pasteur administered an experimental rabies vaccine to a nine-year-old. Although it must be noted that the boy was severely bitten by a rabid dog two days earlier and would have probably died if not for Pasteur's vaccine. Grey hat hackers have always been a challenge for the cybersecurity community. Although they rarely cause real damage and they seldom have malicious intentions typical of black hat hackers, they do violate laws. The medical profession's solution to that ethical dilemma is via regulation. A researcher who wishes to carry out an ethically challenging experiment must go through an ethics committee or some other similar body, as defined by the institution he or she is working for. Can this be the solution for ethical dilemmas in cybersecurity, such as the one posed by Chris Roberts' actions? I'm doubtful. There aren't that many cybersecurity institutions, and anyway, grey hat hackers aren't too keen on following rules. That's why they became grey hat hackers in the first place. 
the Electronic Frontiers Foundation, a non-profit digital rights organization, recommends that gray hat hackers consult with an attorney before doing potentially risky research. Some do, but most don't. This ethical conundrum doesn't have an easy or simple answer. Historically, questions of ethics only took center stage in the public discourse following major scandals, like when the Tuskegee syphilis study conducted between 1932 and 1972 on unsuspecting African Americans was exposed by the press. Or during the Nuremberg trials, when the world learned about the atrocious Nazi human experiments during World War II. Cybersecurity is a budding field, only a few decades old. Thankfully, we still haven't experienced such major scandals. Maybe it will take a Tuskegee-scale ethical violation for the cybersecurity community to start talking about such issues in earnest. Back to Roberts, who was taken off the plane in Syracuse in April of 2015. Despite his provocative tweet about messing with his plane's oxygen system, he didn't suffer any serious consequences. Roberts missed his connecting flight, spent a few hours in the lovely company of FBI agents, but that's about it. No charges were filed following the incident. The fact that he came out unscathed boosted Roberts' reputation, but the dubious exposure also had some less positive sides. Right after the event, Roberts admitted that investors shied away from the security company he founded, which led to the laying off of a dozen employees. Later that year, Roberts' company filed for bankruptcy. But even that did not make Roberts change his ways. He still likes talking a lot and provoking his audience. For example, in a conversation held in 2019 during the Digital Age Summit in Istanbul, Roberts confessed that he had previously hacked into the NASA satellite communications system. Quote, We have found that the security of communication between satellite and terrestrial systems is not well encrypted. We had access to the system by passing access control measures at NASA's International Space Station. End quote. It's not clear when and if this alleged break-in took place. Roberts had boasted about hacking into NASA systems before. In 2012, during another conference, he said that a few years earlier he had broken into NASA's space station and changed the temperature there. A NASA spokesperson, referring to Roberts's claim in a passcode article, said that it's, quote, laughable. So, did he really hack NASA twice? It's difficult to tell. As evident from Roberts's colorful character, he is not afraid to go over the top when trying to warn the world of what he considers to be real dangers. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. What do you know? Malicious Life's fifth birthday is coming up in a few months. Five of the most interesting years of my life, I can tell you that. 
to celebrate, we're planning a live Ask Me Anything event where me and the team will answer your questions. There's no exact date for the AMA yet, but it's going to take place sometime in June. So keep your ears open for future updates. If you wish to send us some birthday wishes, you can write to us on Twitter or email, and I'll read them for the rest of our listeners. Or you can even record yourselves on your phones and send the recording to our email, so I can play the recordings in the episode itself. Our Twitter handle is at MaliciousLife, or me at at RanLevy, that's R-A-N-L-E-V-I, and my email is ran at ranlevy.com. AMA, a live event, sometime in June. Following our previous episode on cyber PTSD, we asked you over on Twitter, have you or people close to you ever fallen for a scam? Dan Kay, who describes himself as a sysadmin by necessity, shared his story. Quote, a family member was scammed by a familiar name that I haven't seen reported on anywhere. Publishers Clearinghouse bought a mobile gaming company and makes addictive gambling games with an internal economy used to sell cheap products at quote-unquote deep discounts. Deeply predatory. End quote. Indeed, using brands and names familiar to the public is an age-old and highly effective technique. If you've seen the Tinder swindler on Netflix, you know what I'm talking about. 60% of those who answered our poll said they had a friend who had fallen for a scam. Atin Fosek tweeted that he thinks, quote, no one's gonna admit they'd fallen for a scam, are they? End quote. Well, 16% of you did admit to having fallen for a scam, but Antifosek might be right. Shame, as we said in the episode itself, is a real problem. Some thank yous and shout-outs to James, who wrote to say that I have a great voice. Thank you, James. To Hello Tweety NYC, who pointed out some typos on our episode's transcripts and shared a few interesting links following our previous B-sides. And to Chet Werner, Bruno Bonacci, and Neil Christie, who wrote to me on LinkedIn to say how much they enjoy the podcast. Thank you very, very much. You're amazing people. Malicious Life is produced by PI Media. This episode was produced by Boaz Lavi, sound design by Yotam Halachmi. Thanks to CyberReason for underwriting the podcast. Learn more at cyberreason.com. Bye-bye. Oh